All right, Poor Man's Lore, Episode 7. Here we go. I set a very ambitious goal for myself of recording and releasing one episode per day, which was going to end up being two stories per day. And I did not do that because I have other things going on. And here we are. It is Thursday of the week, and I released my last episode on Saturday for the Friday episode. So it is what it is. Let's get into it. Uh, the last story that we talked about were uh, we did main story one and two, and then we did main story three and four. So main story five, six, seven have come out since then, and then we have gotten a whole host of side stories. So I think I'm just going to touch on the side stories briefly because the the way that they are told, I can kind of hit on the main plot points of each. Uh, but I haven't even had time to read them all yet. So the first side story is a story set on Arcavios, which is the plane where the Strixhaven school is. And that one is basically a whole lot of story to say a bunch of professors got completed. Liliana is helping the students defend. And big finish, they find a invocation left by the Elder Dragon founders. They cast that spell, and it almost goes wrong but in a historic and uh, heroic fashion, Quintorius takes up... Basically, it's the five uh, students. They are casting the spell together, and Rutha, the Prismari student, gets her leg caught by one of the uh, professors that's been chasing them. So Quintorius takes up her part of the spell as well, and in that moment of like heroism, I guess. And I think also, you know, Quintorius's whole thing being history, uh, he sparks and becomes a planeswalker. So this kind of, uh, was expected. I remember seeing a leak somewhere on Reddit at some point that Quintorius was going to spark and then be in the new Ixalan set as kind of the Indiana Jones type character. So that happens here. And that's about all we see of uh, the Strixhaven kiddos. Uh, I really liked Side Story 2. That was Ikoria. And, you know, I guess I'll just say it now. I was going to, you know, say it at the end. But really the theme with all of these is it's the plane's natural defense. uh, Or, you know, I guess not necessarily natural. But the plane's defense kicking in and that plane winning the battle but not necessarily the war, which, you know, it's kind of implied that will be in the main story. Turns out it pretty much is. So the second one is Ikoria. Really liked this story. Basically, we're following two different plot points uh, that are kind of intertwined at the end. The first is Jarena Kudrow, who is the fiancé of Luca. Uh, obviously, Luca is going there to attempt to complete the plane. Uh, she is leading a group of refugees from Dranith, the main human settlement on Ikoria, which Dranith has fallen at this point, and she's basically leaving uh, with a, a big group of humans trying to get from Dranith to Lavabrink, which is the second largest human settlement on the plane. We get to see Vivian and Cheville, who had a card in... Uh, the Ikoria set. He's like the monster slayer, monster hunter guy. 
Uh, we got to see them trying to stop Luca. Luca kind of goes past them. Uh, their little trap doesn't work. Winds up. He uh, catches up with Jarena. Another fun little fact there is that uh, Haldan and presumably Paco, since they are bonded, is in that uh, that column with Jarena, and they wind up since Luca is like pretty hot on their tail, and he's been sending some Phyrexianized beasts like scouts after that group. They instead of going straight to Lava Brink, they wind up taking a different path, which. Jarena seems to know, uh, and Halden seems to know, winds up in the nest of one of the big, uh, you know, main five beasts, that one being Vadrock. So the, they're in the Jeskai color alignment. Uh, I think it's Rogren on that plane. And they're in that, uh, that environment, and they wind up in the nest of Vadrock, who essentially rips Luca apart with magical fire when he eventually catches up. Uh, you know, it's nice to see Luca getting owned and getting his shit pushed in. Uh, that's pretty much it. I will say one of the things I really, really liked about this story was the fact that you get to see some of Ikoria's natural defense, where the monsters pretty much are just like, ah, yes, new threat. Typical Tuesday on Ikoria. Let me just adapt real quick, and now that shit don't work on me. Uh, I thought that was really cool, that the monsters were, like, pretty much unfazed by Phyrexia. I mean, they were, you know, completed some of them, but they adapted. Uh, next up, we have a story set on Ixalan that was, like, really, really long. I've read some of it. Uh, you know, the gist of it is Watley and the Sun Empire. It, it, there was, like, a lot of politics in it, and I'm not, like, it... it it wasn't boring necessarily. It's just like I didn't read like most of the Ixalan story. I like skimmed the Jason Vraska parts, but the world building good to have. But just honestly, it's not my favorite plane. It's not. It's not like it's my least favorite. It's just not one that I like. Am super into. Uh, basically, you got the cool parts of Ikoria uh, showing up. You got the humans and the vampires teaming up to. I think it's. Um, or Razka is where they kind of make their big stand against Phyrexia. I guess one one interesting thing about this story is that they make a note that, you know, Ixalan that we have seen is really just a small island on a vast plain. And in that vast plain is where Phyrexia showed up, not necessarily on the island right away. So we kind of see Phyrexia get to set up a little bit. And it, it seems pretty hopeless. Uh, but then they go to Arazka, which is like a big uh, temple that they have. And they wind up summoning the elder dinosaurs uh, in the midst of this. And now, now that I'm thinking about this, because this is kind of the first time I've mentioned like a big character completion. I guess there were like some completed characters in the Strixhaven one. But I can't think of any major ones in the Ikoria one. Uh, but in this one, we see Itali, the red elder dinosaur, the, you know, one of the, I guess there's five uh, elder dinosaurs, and then there's the Kama, who's like the elder elder dinosaur. But Itali gets completed, and we see the others attempt to take him down, and then eventually Zakama shows up and just kind of wrecks face, and then, yay, they defended against Phyrexia. 
it was it was a good story. Actually, I did. Now that I'm thinking about it, I did finish that one. It was just, it, it was so long, and I you know, it, it wasn't like my favorite. It wasn't my least favorite. It was fine. Uh, next we get to the Innistrad one. I skimmed some of this, and I skimmed some of the next one as well. Just had other stuff going on and wasn't able to fully get to these. And, you know, if I'm being honest, the side stories, like, as a whole, if you really like the plane, you're gonna like that side story. If you don't, I don't know, the, the stakes just feel so small by comparison to the main story where it's like, the fate of the multiverse hangs in the balance. It's like, all right, well, you know, the fate of a small island in Ixalan hangs in the balance, you know? Most of the characters you care about are, like, planeswalkers, I guess the dinosaurs, like, I don't know. It, it just, it wasn't exactly, like, right up my alley. But the Innistrad one continues the motif that I haven't uh, read, but I know of, where Gisa and Garolf are sending each other letters and making fun of each other. It's good writing. It's it's a fun, you know, literary device. Uh, from what I understand, basically, Gisa's like, man, do you see those tentacles in the sky? That sure was weird. Did you do that, brother? And he was like, no, I didn't do that. If the Cosmos want to fuck around, then that's their own business. Uh, I, I didn't read the rest of it, but I, I, I skimmed the the end bit of it, and I do know that they, again, won the battle, not the war, Uh I know Gissa and Garolf continue to bicker in the meantime. Uh, there was a really cool piece of art of like a Innistrad-centric uh, Phyrexia that I, I just thought looked really cool. And that's about all I got for that one. Uh, next was the Eldraine, uh, where we get to see Rankle. It looks like we get art in this for Rankle and Torbran, which would be a cool team-up. Uh, I know Iara gets completed. I don't even think I skimmed this one. I really did the j just the bare minimum, but I think by the end of it, you can basically suffice it to say, won the battle, not the war. That's about all I got. Now let's get into the main story, because the main story, to me, was so much more interesting. So for this one, the main story, uh, we've done one through four. Let's get into episode five. Episode 5 is titled Cathartic Reunion, which is a great title because it's also a card, and a, a card I'm sure is going to get reprinted with some art we see at the end. Uh, spoiler right off the bat, it's Chandra and Nyssa. We see Chandra and Ren going to New Phyrexia. Basically, Chandra's going to be the, you know, the big fire uh, element. I feel like she should have gone in the first place, but hey, that's the plan they went with. And Ren is going to just walk up to the world tree and bond with it. And uh, that's the plan. Honestly, pretty good plan. Uh, except for the fact that Phyrexia is pretty prepared for this. Um, we see them enter the plane and then pretty immediately link up with Koth and Malira. They are pretty badly beaten at this point. The morale is pretty low uh, on you know, on the side of the Mirans, basically their last ditch effort. I mean, I feel like it's just human fodder. I guess not human, but just live bait fodder is the role of uh, Mirans in this entire arc. But the plan is we're going to blast Chandra and Ren into the seed core, and the Mirans are going to continue their little Phyrexian civil war 
efforts uh, in the meantime, and hopefully that's a big enough distraction. But, you know, obviously at this point, Phyrexia is pretty prepared, and Chandra and Ren are cut off by Nyssa. Basically, we see Chandra and Nyssa meet for the first time after Nyssa's completion, and Ren is also there. Basically, Nyssa offers completion to Chandra, and it, it is very emotional, and I will say, like, uh, good consistency here in, you know, keeping Chandra a character who's grown up, who's learned lessons, who isn't as impulsive. I love, you know, the Chandra that thinks a little bit more. I think that's a really great space for her character to be in. Um, Ren tries, but, you know, the tree gets, I don't know if the tree gets completed or, you know, essentially destroyed. Uh, Ren gets ripped out of the tree and Nyssa kind of kicks the shit out of her. And then uh, Chandra holds it together long enough to create a big blast. And you would think that would save them from certain uh, doom or completion, but this is new Phyrexia, so, you know, it doesn't. Um, that's basically where we, we end off is the, the cliffhanger of Chandra exploding and the plan is still there of let's get Ren to the world tree. But, uh, and it's funny because I remember when it came out originally, whatever day that was, I was like, man, how impactful, how cool they're finally doing it. Uh, I really like the pace that the main story is going. I feel like it's done a pretty good job of carrying an impossibly large plot forward in a way that feels substantial, uh, and important and not terribly rushed. Uh, so then from there we have main story episode six, where honestly shit really pops off. It's, it's a great story. I think it might be some of the best magic, uh, story that I've read. It's, we pick up with Elspeth. Basically, Elspeth goes through the phases of her life. She, last we saw her, was taking the Silex out of New Phyrexia, planes walking away with it, and ending up somewhere beyond the Blind Eternities. We hear, and well, we see through her eyes, uh, her as a child in a Phyrexian dungeon, and it's just great to get some crumbs of you know, what was Elspeth's story? And I'm going to talk about that uh, after I kind of go through the broader plot points because it was really interesting to put a lot of that together. Um, And there's a lot of broader context to the circumstances surrounding who Elspeth is and how she came to be on New Capenna. Uh, I guess rather her family. But anyway, um, we see that instead of being helpless as a child, she's able to take a sword and slash the Phyrexian that would normally torment her. Um, We see that it killed her mother. We see her fighting back. It's interesting because it's Elspeth, but it's not Elspeth, right? Elspeth is talking to some kind of being that's manifesting itself as as Elspeth as a child. Uh, And then from there... we get this motif of Elspeth, it's time to wake up, you have to make a choice, and we begin to see Elspeth kind of relive her life, Uh, not in like a life flashing before your eyes kind of way, but there is some kind of mysterious third party uh, to Elspeth, well, I guess second party, but 
mysterious figure to Elspeth making her make a choice. And she starts to get it. Okay, this is about Phyrexia. She sees a cabin, uh, and that's kind of where, you know, where we see that first bit of the Watchers come in in episode two, where we see Chandra and Ren at the cabin. Um, we see first Nukapena, which again is where we saw Watchers uh, at the end of Nukapena. It's we see basically Atraxa laying waste to Nukapena, but we see that. It's not completely over. Nukapena has its protectors. Uh, in some sense, this is Elspeth's home. The mysterious figure speaks to her as her mother, as Elspeth's mother. Uh, and, you know, we see her go through, okay, you know, is this the time to make a stand? Because that's essentially what the question is. Is is this the time to make a stand? Uh, you know, how does this make you feel, essentially? And Elspeth feels like, you know, it might be, but... No. Uh, you know, this could be it for Nukapena, but it's not. It still has its defenders. Next, she goes to Theros. And personally, this is a huge moment for me because I love Theros. Theros is probably my favorite plane. It's the plane I really came into Magic playing. So near and dear in my heart. We see the mysterious uh, being appear to Elspeth this time as Daxos, which you can just see in the writing, like takes a huge load off of Elspeth's shoulders where she gets to speak to uh, Daxos, who she has so much guilt over how things went there because she accidentally murdered him, but also loves him. So that one is uh, complicated for her. We start to see a Johnny who was Elspeth's uh, mentor. And we also learn from Dak uh, that three of the gods have been completed. So we know Heliod. Uh, I would love to take a moment here and speculate which ones in the attempts to reason it away from it being Crufix. I think it's probably easier to say, like, Mogus, decent bet, Phoenix, decent bet, uh, Farika. Uh, really, a lot of the different gods, I feel like Ephara is more likely, Athreos could be more likely than Crufix, who is my favorite character in Magic, so please, let's not let him be completed. But we don't get any confirmation, and I feel like we would have if it was going to be something that was on a card. So I guess I can, you know, sleep tonight. But we see a Johnny with a Phyrexian priestess converting people, believing in, you know, from, from believing in the gods to believing in Phyrexia, it's gross, and she really wants to go and help, but again, this motif of, is this where you want to make your final stand? Is this where you want to come back into the fray? And she says, uh, you know, this time she says, don't make me say it, but, you know, answer is no. And then we see her on New Phyrexia. We see Elish Norn. We see a scene where Elish Norn is having a little victory party, uh, kills Urabrask in this moment. Uh, uh, Elish Norn kills Urabrask, and then she starts completing the remaining couple of Mirans, and then we see Koth, uh, Malira, Chandra, top half of Ren, and then uh, Karn on his slab, because apparently he wasn't rescued in time in uh, All Will Be One, so... That's the group we have assembled here, and some uh, some classic bickering between Jingataxis and Elish Norn. Um, I believe it is here 
where, yes, okay, so basically the being takes Elspeth through, yes, okay, here's obviously where you need to make your stand, and, you know, Elspeth understandably says, okay, time to kill Norn. The being says, no, it's actually not Norn, it's Nyssa that is the big problem here. You, uh, you know, you can't focus on basically a personal grudge, you have to focus on the greater good here. And Elspeth understands that, yes, okay, it's true. We need to get uh, Ren to the World Tree. That's what saves the multiverse. And to do that, we need to get her around uh, Nyssa. And then we see Elspeth turn into big reveal. The mysterious being was Sarah, and Elspeth turns into Archangel Elspeth. So... All of the people online that were saying Angel Elspeth incoming were correct. I actually don't know if that is at the end of Main Story 6 or the beginning of Main Story 7, but they are essentially one and the same at this point. Uh, They flow one right into the other. So we see Archangel Elspeth. uh, The card preview is in the story article. Very, very cool there. Uh, Basically, we get to see the back and forth of Elspeth comes in and Norn fucking loses it. Uh, basically, Elspeth is all powerful at this point, uh, certainly more so than she used to be. We see from Karn's perspective Elspeth coming in and tearing up Jingataxis, and then we see at one point in this that Elish Norn starts dropping the we and saying I, which is a huge. Uh, you know, note for a Phyrexian to say, uh, I, you know, so individualistic. And that's something really Elspeth digs into her for when Norn's saying, this is Phyrexia. Um, you know, one of the kind of intellectual battles they have in the midst of their actual battle is, okay, well now you're just an angel, Elspeth. What's so different from being one of an angel, you know, one of many angels to being one of Phyrexia. And Elspeth says, you know, well, my purpose is divine, and Norn's like, yeah, try again, we think ours is too. And Elspeth says, well, I haven't changed, and Norn's like, yeah, you got fucking wings now, honey, so, <laughs> yeah, L there. Um, but then we see Norn and Jingataxis get into a little spat, and she, I'm pretty sure she fucking kills Jingataxis, which is huge. Uh, when I say she, I mean uh, Elish Norn. And then Elspeth is able to stab Elish Norn. And Elish Norn screams, I hate you, to Elspeth, which, again, is so individualistic and so huge for Norn to get to that point. It was very cool, though. Uh, You know, after seeing the Phyrexian arc for the better part of a year, and I hate Phyrexia so, so much, to see Elspeth be able to actually inflict pain on Elish Norn, I mean, the art is beautiful, and I love it. Uh, and she goes into this thing where she's like, you know what, you're right, we aren't so different. We each want our own things, we have our own desires. Uh, and then, you know, Norn hates that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty great scene. And then we, again, pick up with the cliffhanger, kind of the same cliffhanger, of we need to get Ren to the tree. And we need to basically take care of Nyssa who is very powerful at this point. 
So the broader context that I want to touch on as my last thing here about uh, Elspeth becoming an angel, that's the big reveal in this one. Well, in these two. Um, Basically, Sarah, right, had Sarah's realm, a beautiful, perfect paradise, a locus of white mana, an uncorruptible plane that Sarah oversaw, never left, because it was so perfect. It was her paradise. Until Urza shows up, requesting aid in the fight against Phyrexia. Well, that alerts Phyrexia to the presence of Sarah's realm, and they start corrupting it. And it makes uh, a lot of the inhabitants of the plane go mad, and then I believe that makes Sarah forsake that plane. So it's not exactly clear if Sarah then spread her influence, but I mean, Sarah is a very, very powerful character. She's an old walker. You know, she is she is quite powerful. So she may have spread her angelic influence over many planes because we see angels on a lot of planes in, you know, different physical attributes, but, uh, you know, aesthetically they're different, but in terms of how they function, they're mostly the same, uh, you know, constructs, beings of pure white mana that Sarah is kind of the embodiment of. We do know for sure that, uh, a couple years later, Urza goes back and collapses the remnants of Sarah's realm into a single power stone, which then powers the Weatherlight and also the, uh, you know, later the after the Weatherlight, Weatherlight is corrupted, it powers the time machine that Teferi uses to travel uh, back in time and actually meet Urza. So... It's a pretty powerful uh, place, but in doing so, he takes refugees from Sarah's realm and brings them back to Dominaria. It's conceivable to think maybe some of those refugees could have wound up on Nukapenna, but nevertheless, that is where the angels on Nukapenna come from, right? We see through Jada that angels are born as mortals on Capenna. So Elspeth is born as a mortal on Capenna. But she says in, in somewhere in that whole, uh, you know, episode six and seven, that yes, there was a name that was forbidden to speak in the dungeons, uh, the Phyrexian dungeons, and that name would have been Sarah. So, you know, I, I love when they put old characters back in the lore like that. Uh, I know Jay and Ellie had a really great Twitter thread that really goes into... Okay, big reveal. Uh, you know, Elspeth is an angel now. Uh, let's talk about it. Um, I started, you know, reading through that earlier as he was going uh, and tweeting it. So I'll probably go give that another check out uh, as well. I recommend any folks that listen to this do the same. Um, but that's pretty much going to do it for me. Man, I'm really hitting 27 minutes consistently with these. But, uh, you know, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm going to be working on expanding this even more. Uh, hopefully, I'd like to start a Patreon soon. So if you feel so inclined to, uh, I don't know, maybe there'd be a link to the Patreon. I'm sure that's something I could figure out. But if you feel so inclined as to support on Patreon, it would mean the world. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been Poor Man's Lore. Have a good one. Bye-bye.